You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, Thank you once again for tonight, Father, and for this Bible study. And Lord, I thank you that we have the privilege of being able to study your word tonight, to gather around and feed upon the bread of life. And Father, I thank you that as we do that, Jesus said, he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. And so, Lord, we believe to be filled to the full tonight. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher we invite and allow him to bring revelation into our our lives, our hearts, Father. We thank you that we have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want to minister to us tonight. And Father, we believe to receive everything that you have for us tonight. And we thank you and give you praise for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and I'm going to actually uh, thought about these verses after I had printed the notes and put them out there. So for those of you who have already printed the notes off, if you want to just jot this down, we're going to read Hebrews chapter four and verses 14 through 16, and let this kind of lay the groundwork for what we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, as you recall, this is uh, week number six in our series called A Better Covenant. And we've been studying the blood covenant and uh, looking at all the different angles of the blood covenant and what it means to us and the importance of it in God's eyes. And so, um, you know, all the things I'm not going to endeavor to try and review uh, what we've talked about the previous weeks. I encourage you to go back and get the notes and listen to the, the lessons But the series title is based on, again, another uh, verse in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter eight, it says that we have a new and better covenant established upon better promises. And so the covenant that you and I are under is, is better than the old covenant simply because it's put into effect by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises and things that we have or what they had to look forward to. And uh, so that's what indeed makes it better. But let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So Jesus is our great high priest. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk in depth about the high priest and his ministry in the Old Testament. Uh, Last week, we did talk about the sacrificial system that God set up. You know, there were three sets of instructions that we mentioned to you that God gave Abraham, and one of them was the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. The other one was the instructions about uh, the priesthood and all the particulars about that. And then 
The third area that God gave Moses instructions for was the sacrificial system and all the different sacrifices that they were supposed to offer under the old covenant. And uh, so all those details we covered last week, but I do want to talk about the ministry of the high priest. And uh, let me just kind of launch into this. If you want to read uh, the instructions about the high priest, you can just make a note. They're found in Exodus chapter 28 and, and 29 and uh, where uh, God gives Moses those instructions. And of course, there's little tweaks, if you will, throughout the next few books in the Old Testament, but this is where it was originally set up. The priest's office uh, was to be exclusively theirs, meaning that if, if you were part of that lineage, you were part of that priesthood office, and no one outside of that lineage could function in that office. And the lineage that I'm talking about is uh, Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. And uh, so the high priesthood passed from Aaron down to his sons following his death. And what's interesting, and if you want to make just a little mental note about this, the instructions, and even in Numbers chapter 4 and verse 3, said that the high priest started his responsibilities at 30 years old. You could not be uh, of high priest before the age of 30. And uh, does anybody remember how old Jesus was when he started his earthly ministry? 30 years he old. He was 30 years old, exactly. So when Moses set Aaron and his sons apart for the ministry, in Exodus chapter 28, there was an elaborate ceremony, and their garments that they were supposed to wear in that particular function uh, Moses took blood of a sacrifice, sprinkled it on them. And so for the rest of the time, those garments that Aaron and his sons wore were permanently bloodstained uh, to show that, uh, that they had been covered by the blood of a sacrifice. This was necessary because these men were sinners and uh, they, yet they were called to be mediators between God and man. And so their sins had to be covered. And so the blood-sprinkled garments publicly testified to their real inadequacy to represent the people, but yet God had chosen to use them anyway and covered them in blood. And uh, so, and they weren't allowed to wash those garments. So forever that those garments were stained with the blood. So I want to begin talking about the high priest. I'm going to throw a graphic up here for you so you can uh, see. And let me put this up here. Okay, so you can see that. Uh, and this is, uh, sorry, it's kind of cartoonish, but this is what uh, the, the series, the PowerPoint presentation that I bought years ago, uh, this is what was in it. And so I want to talk a little bit about the garments that he wore. Now, you know, as I tell you all the time, God did not, Jesus did not, God does not do accidental or random. So in all of the instructions that God gives, even to the details of what the high priest was supposed to wear, all of those details are particular on purpose. They represent something. So we're going to quickly, as fast as we can, cover these things. Now, let's talk about the high priest for just a moment. He was in the Old Testament camp, if you will, the, the children of Israel, 
all the way up until the time they settled in the promised land, and even supposed to be after that, the high priest was the central figure in the whole nation. And the reason being is because he was the one that represented God to the people and the people to God. And so he was the mediator, and he stood above everyone else, just not because of his position, but also because of the way God set him apart with his garments. And so I want to, again, just mention to you, and, and this is why I read those verses to begin with, that our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the high priesthood did not disappear with Jesus. He is our high priest. So as we study these things, notice all of these details as we cover them, we'll paint a picture of the great high priest that was to come. And of course, you got to remember when all these instructions were given, they were looking forward to the great high priest coming. We're on this side of the cross in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we're looking back at what Jesus did for us. And so just keep all of that in mind. And uh, now in the garments, if you want to make a note of this, there were seven particular pieces of clothing that the high priest wore. Now, if you'll recall in the Bible, the number seven is a number of perfection or completion. And so all of these things represent and, and show that the high priest was perfectly clothed for his position. Okay. So let's begin. Let's talk about this. Now, although this, of course, this picture is not 3D, so you can't really see the depth of these things, but the first garment that the high priest wore were, were white breeches, uh, not pants, if you will, but long, almost look like a skirt type thing, uh, of fine linen next to his body. That's what he wore. And over the linen, he wore a white tunic of fine linen that hung at his feet. And this outfit, the, the white breeches and the white tunic were the same as all of the other priests and therefore made him, even though he was the high priest, blend in and look ordinary. Now in the Bible, fine white linen represents perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. So fine white linen represents perfect righteousness. So the high priest was clothed in righteousness. Notice that was the first garment that he wore, and it was closest to his body. It was the, the thing that was closest to him. And so from within, the high priest was symbolically clothed in perfect righteousness. Then over this, the white linen, the high priest wore a blue robe, which you see there over his coat. Now, and, and this would be the part that has the fringe at the bottom that you see there. The color blue, in, whenever you see it referenced in the Old Testament, always speaks of heaven. It represents a heavenly appointment by God himself who selected Aaron as the high priest. Now, embroidered on the bottom of this robe, the blue robe, and I've mentioned this to you before, were golden bells alternating with pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet. So you can see, again, sorry for the crudeness of this picture, but you can see the small bells there sewn into the lower part of that garment. In the Old Testament, gold always represents deity, 
The purple and the scarlet represent royalty and blood sacrifice. So you had deity represented here, you had royalty represented here, and you had uh, scarlet referring to the blood sacrifice. And I would remind you that First Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood called by God, ordained by him. And so, uh, and of course, it's all because we're washed in the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you and I are of royalty and we are of priesthood. The book of Revelation says that Jesus has made us before God kings and priests. And so we have this same representation. So these all these colors, again, were by design by the Lord uh, to point ahead of time to the time when God himself would come and establish his own kingdom in his own blood. Now, over the robe, you'll see it there with the cross pattern. Uh, there, This is what was called a, a short sleeveless jacket called an ephod, E-P-H-O-D. And the ephod, what was interesting about this ephod, and I, I, I would love to see to have seen how they did this, but they made the material, but they also wove into this material, they made thread out of solid gold. Now, how they did that without the gold breaking I, I, is beyond me, but they were able to weave these fine threads of gold and woven into this, this blue and purple and scarlet ephod. And the ephod consisted of two pieces. It was a piece in the front and a piece in the back. So if you can picture maybe a vest type outfit that you see there, and they were joined at the shoulders by two gold chains. Now the chains you can't really see there, but uh, just know that that ephod underneath that sash uh, was part in the front and part in the back. Now, if you look at the shoulders of the high priest there, where those chains joined the ephod together, there were two onyx stones set in gold and fastened to the ephod at the shoulders. And what's interesting is, is God instructed that on the, uh, the stones of onyx, the onyx stones, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were engraved with a seal on this stones with six names on each stone. Now, we'll talk about this again in a minute, but what that represented is the priest was carrying the entire nation of Israel in what he did, everything that he did. He was bearing the weight of that responsibility. So the ephod reached from the shoulders to below the waist, hanging slightly above that blue robe. And then you'll see a sash there, a fine linen, fastened around the ephod. And the sash served as a reminder that the priest was both a servant of God and a servant to the people, the nation of Israel. Now, on top of that, the, the priest wore a gold breastplate. Now, on this breastplate, uh, there were 12 beautiful stones, finely stones, and I'm not going to list them here, but you can read about them, and they were attached to the breastplate. Now, what's interesting is the name of one of the 12 tribes was in, engraved with a seal on each one of those stones. So you had four rows of three, 
and a name of a tribe was engraved on each one of those stones. And so what this meant is that he was interceding for the people. He, he carried the entire nation on his shoulders, and he had the people close to his heart. And so the breastplate went right over his chest. And so you've got to remember now what his job was. And we'll talk about this in just a second is he symbolically carried the entire nation into the presence of God, okay? So the two stones on his shoulders represented his strength and carrying the nation, and the stones over his heart represented his love for the people. And then the last and seventh article of clothing was the turban that you see him wearing, a fine linen wore as a headpiece. And there was a gold plate attached to the front of the turban uh, with a blue ribbon, and the words were inscribed on that that plate were holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord were engraved with a seal on that plate. Now, this was the crowning piece of the garments of glory and beauty. So what we're going to see here in just a minute is there were two roles that the priest had to uh, serve in and to accomplish, one for himself and then one for the people. And so he did not wear the breastplate and uh, the, 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 what they were called the glorified or, or glorious garments. He didn't wear those all the time. Okay, so you'll see in just a minute. And uh, so inscribed on this turban was the words, holiness to the Lord, by wearing it as on his forehead, the high priest would symbolically bear the guilt of any unclean sacrifices made to God, and this also made him acceptable to God. Now, I also want to remind you this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3, it says, By him, therefore, let us uh, offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he also tells us, to renew our minds. Notice this turban covered the symbolically the brain of the high priest, but you are wearing, and when you renew your mind to the word of God, you're wearing a plate over your mind that says, holy unto the Lord. And so this is all symbolic of what was going on. So let's talk about his responsibilities a little bit. He had many responsibilities that he accomplished on a daily basis, but his most important responsibilities took place on what is known as the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement in our calendar that was sometime between the latter half of September and the first half of October, depending on how the Jewish calendar fell that particular year. Now, if you've ever heard the phrase Yom Kippur, this also is a reference to the Day of Atonement because that Yom Kippur literally means Day of Forgiveness. And for those of you who are history buffs, you might remember that Israel in the 1960s fought a war on Yom Kippur. It was the Yom Kippur War. They were attacked on the Day of Atonement. And uh, by the way, they won that war. And so this is the one day of the year when the high priest would go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies. So he was not allowed to go beyond that veil into the Holy of Holies any other day of the year except for this one day 
the, uh, the Day of Atonement. And so, as I mentioned to you before in previous lessons, that the pressure, he had a lot of pressure on him because it was critically important for two reasons that he get all of the instructions right. Number one, he was representing the people to God, and so it, he could not afford to make any mistakes and make any errors and mess up what God wanted to do in the lives of the people and forgiving them and covering their sin for that particular year. The other reason that he had to make sure that he got all the details right was because, unfortunately, if he went into the Holy of Holies, into the glorious presence of God, and had messed up uh, and sinned, then it would cost him his life. So it was critically important. And I mentioned to you the bells that are there on the bottom of his garment. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But while he was in the Holy of Holies performing his duties, the other priests and the people that were outside in the the holy place and then outside the tabernacle, they would listen for those bells. And as long as they heard the bells ringing, and, and that meant that the high priest was moving about doing his duties within the holy of holies, and they knew everything was good. So, But he had a lot of pressure on him. He had a lot of instructions that he was supposed to fulfill. And uh, so let's walk through what he would do on this day of atonement. Okay, so let me let me end the sharing. You kind of get an idea as to uh, what the high priest looked yeah. like. Yes, ma'am. What was that thing that the, the high priest was holding? It's a, a censer that has incense in it. Okay, okay. Yeah, you'll you'll see that in just a moment. Okay, yes, sir. Okay. All right, so let's walk through what he would do. The first thing that, now remember, this is the Day of Atonement. This is a high holy day to the Jewish people. So the first thing the high priest would do would be to wash himself. Uh, this was symbolically cleaning himself, of cleansing himself of any defilement. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And so he was clean so that he could then begin, begin the process of ministering on behalf of the people. So after washing, he would then get dressed for service. He would put on his white robe, his sash, and his turban, and that's it, okay? Now, pay close attention to this because you'll understand this in just a moment. Now, everything else, the ephod, the, the um, breastplate, all of those things were called the garments of glory and beauty, and the reason that he he wasn't ready to put those on yet, and I'll explain why. He uh, he doesn't put on the ephod, the breastplate, and uh, he's dressed very plainly. So right now he looks like any of the other priests. There's nothing that if you were to look at him, there's nothing that sets him apart as the high priest. So then he offers a, and sacrifices a bull for his own sin. He had to deal with his own sin first before he could go in as the representative for the person. So he sacrifices the bull. He carries the blood from the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and then sprinkles the blood to cover his sin on the mercy seat there uh, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which I showed you a picture of that. Now, this uh, censer that he's carrying the fragrance of the incense that he's carrying is a sweet aroma to God. 
So holding that censer, he's standing in the midst of the high priest. He sprinkles the blood of his sin offering over the mercy seat. And this is the place of atonement for the sins of the nation. But before he can represent the nation, he has to sprinkle the mercy seat to cover his sin and make atonement for his sin. So seven times he sprinkles the blood over the mercy seat. The number seven looks ahead to the perfect sacrifice that will come and not only cover sins, but will take them away. And again, I want to emphasize that. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. The blood of Jesus Christ does not just cover sins. You know, I've, I've, I've heard people say, and I understand what they were trying to say, and, and, uh, but it's really an Old Testament terminology, and that is placing your sins under the blood. Well, okay, yeah, when you confess your sins, your sins come in contact with the blood of the Lord Jesus, but the Bible says they are cleansed and washed away. Under the Old Testament, your sins were not washed away. They were just covered by the blood of the sacrifices that were sprinkled there on the mercy seat. You remember I said that when God would look down from his, his glorious habitation above the mercy seat, without the blood, he would see the broken commandments that were in the, the Ark of the Covenant. But because the blood was on the mercy seat, God didn't see the broken commandments anymore. He saw the blood which covered the sins of the people. The difference, one of the big difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is the blood of Jesus is far superior to the blood of bulls and goats in the sense of it washes our sin away. It is gone forever. It is not just covered. Okay, so you need to always remember that. So uh, one of the reasons that the, the censer that he would carry in had this incense in it. And so he would go into the Holy of Holies, and that censer is emitting uh, a lot of, of course, fragrant smoke that goes into the Holy of Holies. Now, the main reason that he did this, because the light that was being generated by the glory of God that hovered over the mercy seat there in the Holy of Holies the smoke that arose from this censer helped to shade his eyes from the glory that was there. If you'll remember in the Old Testament, when Moses was going and was fellowshipping with God and conversing with God and was giving getting the instructions from God on Mount Sinai, you remember when he came down, the Bible says that his because of being in the glory of God, his face shines so brightly that the people could not even look at him. So they literally had to put a veil over his face because of the glory of God impacting him literally, physically. And so the high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies, had to have something that would, would, would temper that light some so he could function and do what he uh, needed to do. And so this the light that emanated from the presence of God that was seated on the Ark of the Covenant, that's what that incense smoke did. So seven times he sprinkles the mercy seat, indicating that there was coming a perfect sacrifice. And so each time, make a note of this, just a mental note, in the Holy of Holies, there is no place to sit down. 
no place. And the reason for this is because under the old covenant, the work of the high priest never ended. It was never done because every year he had to repeat this process. And then when he died, the next high priest had to keep repeating this process. So the work of the high priest was never completed under the old covenant. So in the Holy of Holies, there was no place to sit down. Now, now that he has, has sprinkled the blood seven times, he comes back out of the Holy of Holies and he's completed what was necessary to cover the sin for his own sin. So now he comes out and then two goats are selected. So now he's in the, the outer court of the tabernacle or the, the temple and two goats are selected to be the sin offering for the nation. One goat will die and the other goat will be known as the scapegoat. You've probably heard that phrase before, okay? And what that was is that goat was to live and to be set free. So he, the high priest would cast lots to determine which one would be the sacrifice. He then went, once that's determined, he carries it to the brazen altar. He, You remember I said last week that uh, when you were offering a sacrifice, you leaned heavily on that sacrifice. And so the high priest would lean on that sacrifice in, in symbolically transferring the sin of the nation to this animal. And so the high priest takes the blood of this animal into the Holy of Holies. And um, again, there was no place to sit down. Now, if you're still there in Hebrews, back up to Hebrews chapter one and look at verse three. Now, Jesus, again, is known as our great high priest. But look at Hebrews chapter one and verse three says this, that who, talking about Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So in the holy place in heaven, in the holy of holies of heaven, where Jesus' blood was placed and sprinkled on the heavenly utensils, the Bible says that Jesus, as our high priest, has now sat down, meaning that the work has been completed. The Bible says that he once and for all became the sacrifice for people. So thank God Jesus, year after year, does not have to be crucified, does not have to die that horrible death, does not have to shed his blood, that his blood was shed one time for every person. And so the work being completed, now Jesus can go into the holy presence of God and be seated as our high priest, okay? So, all right, so the, the high priest, he's taken the, the goat that is to, to be killed. He's taken that blood into the holy of holies and everybody outside is waiting with anticipation to see, was that sacrifice accepted on behalf of the nation? So the high priest sprinkles the mercy seat seven times, and this place now, as I mentioned to you before, is no longer a seat of judgment, but it now becomes a seat of mercy, and, and justice has been administered in the sense of that the goat was the sacrifice, and God's wrath 
has been vindicated. And uh, so he returns, comes back out of the Holy of Holies, again with more blood of that goat. He sprinkles the blood on the horns of the altar. This cleanses the altar from the sins of the people. And uh, now the high priest needs a visible way to show the people that are gathered outside that the sins have been dealt with. So what he does, if he knows he's done everything right and the sacrifice has been acceptable to God, what he does is he lays his hands on the scapegoat and transfers on it the sins of the nation and then sins releases the goat out into the wilderness to wander off and to disappear. And what this is symbolic is the scapegoat didn't die, it went free. And the only way that the second goat, the scapegoat, could go free is if the blood of the first goat and the price that it was to cover had been paid and the blood applied. Now, let me break this down for us in New Testament talk. The first goat represented what us and our sin, and so we're outside, okay, watching, so to speak, and so we see that the second goat is set free. And you know that your sins are forgiven. Now, what's the point of the scapegoat? The point of the scapegoat is this. God says in his word that through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has separated your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. In other words, your sin has been removed and it has been cast off of you as far as the east is from the west. And I don't know if you've ever thought this through, but if you head east and you head or somebody else heads west, you're never going to meet. In other words, the two are uh, diametrically opposed from each other. So what this means is that Jesus' blood has taken our sin off of us and removed it from us as far as the east is from the west and never to be placed back on you again. I've said this before, but it's something that we always need to remember, and that is this. God will not, God does not, um, once you receive Christ as your Savior, He does not remember your sin anymore. Now, it's not because he's forgotten, it's because he chooses not to remember. So, so forget the religion, religious teaching that tells us when we as believers get to heaven, we're going to have to give an account for our sin. That is a false teaching, and if it's true, then Jesus' sacrifice was worth nothing, okay? Now, let me just mention this. So somebody says, well, what will we give an account for? The Bible says you will give an account before the, the judgment seat of Christ on what you did with what God called you to do and entrusted with you as a steward and be held accountable for that, but only for a reward system, not a punishment system. Okay? Everybody with me so far? Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So the high priest, after he releases the scapegoat, he goes back into the tabernacle and the holy place and he washes himself one more time. 
He then puts on all of his garments, including uh, the garments of glory and beauty. So he's got the full thing on now. He's carrying you on his shoulders, and he's carrying you close to his heart. And as long as, again, you heard the bells moving around, you knew all is well, and he is coming out soon to meet you. So the high priest, after all the sacrifices were made, and God had received the sacrifices, that's when he put on the, the garment, uh, the, the items that were glory and beauty, and then he would come out and, and reappear before all the people, and when the people saw him emerge, it would be like, uh, you know, if you remember uh, when uh, Queen Elizabeth or or, you know, the coronation took place and she walks out on that balcony and people just go nuts and they're, you know, celebrating the coronation. Well, this would be a similar thing. When that high priest emerged and he had on all of the garments, including the things of glory and beauty, that meant to you that the sacrifice had been accepted, that God was pleased with the sacrifice, and for another year, sin of the nation was covered and that the price had been paid. Now, after all this was said and done, the high priest would then offer an offering to the Lord as a sacrifice of praise that the price had been paid. I remind you, Hebrews 13, 15 says that through Jesus, therefore, let us offer up continually the sacrifice of praise. Why? Why can we offer up the sacrifice of praise? because our sin has been paid for. It's been washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus. And our high priest stands there and he's emerged and we can celebrate the fact that God was pleased with his sacrifice and that that sacrifice has done the job once and for all, okay? Now, let's fast forward and I wanna talk about how these things relate into the new covenant, okay? And uh, I want to say this, that, that uh, I want to give credit where credit's due. Again, a lot of the material we're covering in this lesson tonight especially comes from this book, The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread by Richard Booker. And a lot of the things I'm going to talk about, I'm literally going to quote directly from his book. Okay, So Jesus, we know, is our high priest now. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus was in the form of God, meaning he had the same nature and attributes of God, but he came to us. He set all of that aside and came to us in human form, all right, in human flesh, all right? So we know uh, the prophet Isaiah saw him in his glorified state. Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6 that Isaiah cried, and he said, Woe is me, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We know Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his glorified state on the, the mountain of transfiguration where he was changed before them. And then we know the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. After mm -hmm. Jesus had ascended, uh, John saw him in all of his glory and said that his eyes were like flames of fire, and out of his mouth, it seemed like swords were coming and his voice sounded like the sound of many waters and all of those things. Well, that's all Jesus in his glorified state. But yet 
to come to earth and pay the price for us, he did not hold on to that pre-existing glory. Instead, he lay aside all of that and put on the garment of flesh like you and I have, and he laid, laid all of his glory apart so that he could identify with us. Now, you remember the, the high priest, uh, when he basically wore his everyday garments, you could not tell him apart from the other priests. Well, Jesus it was clothed in flesh just like we are, and, and the Bible says there was nothing about him that would have drawn your attention to him, my paraphrasation. Uh, in other words, the Bible says there was nothing about him that would have made you attracted to him just by his looks and the way he carried himself. It, it, not, what, what drew people to him was the anointing and the power of God, but he could identify with us, and he's the one that those priestly, the basic priestly garments were pointing to. So at the same time that, that Jesus laid aside his glory, he dresses himself for the perfect atonement sacrifice. The creator became the creation. The master became the servant. The son of God became the son of man. The Lord of glory became a baby in a manger, and they called his name Jesus or Yeshua in the Hebrew. And he looked just like everyone else. Why, you couldn't tell him from the next guy. Forget the paintings, if you will, that show Jesus with a halo around his head. He did not have a halo, okay? And by the way, you and I don't either, all right? He just wore a plain white linen robe like people wore back then, but nobody spoke like this man, and he was perfectly fulfilling the old covenant as he began his ministry at the age of 30. Now, what was it, do you recall, that happened to Jesus that Jesus did when he was 30 years old and was getting ready to step into ministry? What was it that he did? Does anybody recall? You're muted, Judy. No, that was the first miracle he did. Yep, baptized. Yep, yep. The first thing he did was went to John the Baptist at the Jordan and got baptized. Well, you remember the first thing that the priest would do would be to symbolically wash himself. Now, did Jesus need to be baptized? Of course not. He was Jesus. But he did it to lay the groundwork for what he was getting ready to do and that he identified himself with the Old Testament priest who washed in water on the day that he was set apart from his for his priestly ministry, okay? So then uh, Jesus became the sin offering for the world. The high priest after the seed of Abraham was a sinner just like everybody else. But you know what's interesting? And I didn't realize this until today. I, I guess maybe I just didn't pay a close attention. Jesus was not of the lineage of Aaron. He was of the lineage of David. David was not of the lineage of Aaron. Aaron came out of the, the, the Levitical uh, clan, tribe, if you will. Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, now why is this? Because Aaron, as the high priest, he was a man just like everybody else and therefore was a sinner. 
just like everybody else. Jesus was a high priest after the seed of God, not after the seed of man. He was begotten of God the Father. He was very God, but he was also very man. He was perfectly righteous from within and knew no sin. Therefore, it was not necessary that he offer a sacrifice for himself. Instead, he sacrificed himself for us. All right. So it says in 2 Corinthians 5 21 that he, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. He became that once and for all perfect sacrifice. He got up on the altar, the cross of his own free will, and there he became the sin offering for the world. And he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Now, I have mentioned this and I, I don't have time to really get into it in depth. But do you remember after he was raised from the dead, how he told Mary when she saw him in the garden and she received it? You remember he said Mary called her name and she realized who it was. She thought he was the gardener. You remember that? And he mm -hmm. said her name and the revelation came that this was Jesus and that he was raised from the dead. Well, of course, the natural reaction would be to embrace him, to want to, you know, embrace and be excited and, and happy. And the first thing he said was, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So why did Jesus say this? Well, because he was purified and cleansed as the high priest. And if he had allowed Mary to embrace him, just as in the Old Testament, it would have caused him to become unclean, and it would have nullified what he had just done. So he needed to go to the presence of God, carrying his own blood into the Holy of Holies in heaven and sprinkling it on the utensils there. Again, I don't have time to get into this tonight. Just take my word for it. Because Adam's sin had reached all the way to those utensils in heaven. And only one sacrifice could cleanse those utensils in heaven, and that was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But later on, that same evening, Jesus appears to his disciples and he tells them, touch me, put your finger here in the nail print of my hand, thrust your hand in my side. So what, what happened? His ministry as the high priest and carrying his blood into the Holy of Holies, that work had been completed. Now, Jesus uh, later told the disciples, he said, see my hands and my feet. This is Luke 24, 39, that it is I myself handle me and see for they thought it was a ghost, but he said, a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. Mm -hmm. Now, why didn't he say a spirit doesn't have flesh and blood like I have? Because his blood was no longer flowing in his veins. The mm -hmm. glory, the power of God was now flowing in his veins because his blood was in the heavenly holy of holies sprinkled on the mercy seat there. Jesus said flesh and bone rather than flesh and blood, and that's because all of his blood was poured out at the foot of the cross. But now that that work was over, 
they could touch him. It happened just like it did in the old covenant, except it was not the blood of a goat. It was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. So on resurrection morning, Jesus entered into that more perfect tabernacle in heaven. He went right into the heavenly holy of holies. It was the real high priest entering the real throne room of God with the real sacrifice, not a symbol. The real sacrifice was his own blood that he sprinkled over the mercy seat with his blood. He purchased our eternal salvation. And this is the part of the will that he left us in the new covenant in his blood. Now let's talk about that perfect atonement. We've been forgiven and made clean once and for all by the blood of Jesus. He is the perfect sin offering. Through his blood, he has forever made us holy and righteous in the eyes of God. The blood of Jesus did what the blood of bulls and goats could never do. As I mentioned earlier, it didn't just cover sins. It took them away to be remembered no more. So he doesn't offer himself again and again as the high priest of the old covenant had to keep bringing the sin offering year after year. So when sins have been forgiven and forgotten, there's no need to offer more sacrifices to get rid of them. The price has been paid. Now, I can just imagine when he walked into heaven and did that, you know, the Bible says that the angels did not fully understand the plan of redemption. But I can imagine that the light began to come on when they saw him walk in with his own blood sprinkle it on the heavenly utensils, knowing that the price was paid. I believe that there was a great celebration in heaven because of what was accomplished there. Now, uh, let's see. I'm running out of time. Let's talk about Jesus being the perfect priest. Unlike the old covenant high priest who died, your high priest lives forever. Since he lives forever, he is always there to remind God the Father that he has paid the price for our sins with his own blood. Therefore, he is exactly the kind of priest that we need. He's not going to have a heart attack and die. He's not going to have to be replaced. For God the Father has given him that place of honor and glory in heaven. Jesus now ministers before God the Father as the holy and righteous representative for all of God's covenant children. He bears our name on his shoulders and over his heart in the very throne room of God. He ministers there on our behalf as the perfect mediator we need. Therefore, like Philippians 4.13 says, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. If we do confess our, or if we do sin, we can confess our sins and his name and know that he has forgiven us. And because our names are sealed on his shoulders and over his heart, he is able to keep us from falling and prevent us fault, present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, Jude 24 says. And, and you can rest assured God accepts us in our high priest. That's why we pray and we do everything we do in the name of Jesus. That is not a tradition. That is not a closing to a prayer. 
you're making reference to your great high priest, who is your representative, who is your advocate before the Father, and he is pleading your case. He's, the Bible says he makes intercession for us all the time. And so that's what his job is. So therefore, when Jesus died, the veil in the temple that hid the glory of God from the face of the people was split down the middle. You see, it was no longer needed because the new covenant had been cut at the cross. Jesus, through his blood, had carried has carried us to, to his Father's house. Now we can walk right into the heavenly holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. We can pray directly to the Father in the name of the Son through the Holy Spirit. You don't need anybody else to intercede on your behalf. Jesus is already doing that. You can go straight in before the, the, the throne of grace we read at the beginning and find mm -hmm. grace to help and mercy in a time of need. So as all believers in the Lord Jesus are now ministering priests of the Most High God, as I mentioned to you, speaking of this priesthood of the believer, Paul writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat, he did something that the old covenant high priest could not do. He has been seated. He sat mm -hmm. down at the right hand of the father. The high priest is on the throne because his work is complete. Back in Zechariah, Looking ahead to this time, Zechariah wrote and said, He shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall fill it with splendor. He shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest on his throne, and a perfect union will, uh, will reign between the two. So just as sure as the mercy seat was on the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus is on the throne of God. There he represents us before God his Father. He is the high priest of all who have per personally accepted him as their sin offering. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.